welcome back to Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined by my Hall of Fame co-host, Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer. This is our flagship show, Coaching Kernan, here on the network. On episode 182, we've got a repeat guest today. I'm very excited to have him back. He initially came on to introduce us to his new book. Um, one was done for children for baseball, one for softball, and we're going to get an update on that. Exciting update. Uh, but before we go- do, I want to message to our audience and then uh, got a couple questions for Kevin before we get going. But to our audience now, 17,600 subscribers. We're continuing to grow. Make sure you download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. We're battling the analytics of the podcast world, much like they do in Major League Baseball, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. You can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also hit up Kevin on all those social mediums as well and catch his great writing on Ball 9 twice a week. Facebook question today happened to do with the movie The Natural. You'll get a kick out of one of the answers I gave um, based on a gentleman who helped me sign my professional baseball contract, had a great relationship with Robert Redford. So read that today. We're in 72 countries still, grassroots all the way to MLB front offices, just trying to build a better baseball IQ out there. And as I give a disclaimer every show, prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truths, because as this program has no time for any comfortable lies that we're dealing with in sports or life for that matter. And Kevin, welcome back to the to the show, your show. And uh, we talked before the, before the we got going here with with our guests, but tremendous article again, knocked my socks off, took me by surprise. And actually, we didn't realize it has a kind of a loose connection to our guest today. Yeah, it's a, um, you know, I wrote about uh, Jack Curry's new book, you know, the 98 Yankees could be considered the greatest team ever, 125 wins. But I wrote about mainly, but, you know, again, when I, when I talk to people, I let, I like to let them talk. And that's what this article uh, expressed Jack's thoughts about the process of, of writing it as well. And, um, and I was there in 98. I had just come back from San Diego. I covered a lot of baseball at the time. I was still doing the Knicks, but that was a, a great home run chase. 98 was a great year for baseball. Great home run chase, um, you know, and, and then the Yankees doing what they did. And the, the biggest thing that I want to get across in the article, and I did it kind of subliminally, but in 98, the, the Yankees, that cast of players, and I wouldn't call them characters, even though they were characters, they thought the game out themselves. They were Joe Torrey let them play. Um, they weren't looking at a card. Derek Jeter wasn't pulling a card out of his pocket to see where to play the uh, opposing hitter when they swept the Padres in the World Series. Um, uh, Tina Martinez was at first. Scott Brocious was a third. There were a lot of pieces to the puzzle that fit. They just weren't all superstars. Uh, and then there were veteran players, and then there were guys like David Cohn, who I wrote about a few weeks ago. I spoke to David, and as Jack told me, David kind of brought that team together, and he would do things like Michael Jordan would do, um, and I knew Jordan, of course. You know, he, he there's a story uh, that I alluded to in the book, but the story in the book goes this way. Cohn basically made up this thing about Edgar Martinez taking a big, 3-0 swing and disrespecting the Yankees. And back then, there was disrespect. It's not like the clown show that Major League Baseball is now. Um, and the um, so the Yankees fired off of that, and they would always do that with their opponents. They would get to a, a, a level of, uh, okay, this we, we want to pummel these guys. And they did. They pummeled everyone. So that's, that's the article. It was a really good one. Uh, Ball nine was uh, lucky to get it. That's all I can say. Yeah, that was tremendous. And 
I like the messaging too. And it, like you said, it was subliminal, but I think people who follow you and on, in your writing and in your career and follow the show understand that, you know, th- that team right there, we need a little bit more of that today. Not just the, the collection of talent, which was wonderful, but the attitudes and the way to approach the game. And I think, yeah, that- thank you. think for yourselves, you know, and probably in life too. I mean, uh, Americans uh, could do some little thinking going on forward, especially with the news of the last few days. Russia, Russia, Russia. I'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah, a little, little thinking is an understatement. There needs to be a lot of thinking going on. I'm with you on that. Uh, with, with our guest today, uh, we talk about a thinker, um, Dr. Kurt Ickes. Give you a little background on him. He's a repeat guest for us, but uh, you know, clinical and sports psychologist. Uh, continues to teach baseball and softball for youth players and in youth leagues. Uh, hits is taught at the professional level. Uses the mental game and strategies to achieve optimal sports performance. Wrote a book, you know, wrote a book prior to the two that we're talking about today, Mental Toughness, uh, Getting the Edge. Used it by high school and college players throughout the country. The two books that we had him on the show for initially, and we're going to get updates on today, Win the Next Pitch, introduces young baseball players ages 18 to 14 to the important mental game of sports and baseball specifically. And then You Got This is his uh, parallel book for young girls, 18 to 14, on the mental game of softball here. And when we talked last, Dr. Ickes, you were just embarking upon retirement. Um, you know, Professor Emeritus at Ashland University, taught psychology for over 30 years. And I think the first day we talked was your first day of retirement, if I remember. But I want to welcome you to our show, welcome you back to our show. And uh, how's retirement treating you? It's great. It's great. And, and thanks for having me on, Kevin and David. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. You have a good memory. That was the first day I was retired. I retired at the end of uh, March. I uh, completely retired. I retired from the university two years ago, but I, I maintained my clinical practice and uh, was able to retire from that. And uh, now I'm just um, playing some golf and writing. Yep. Stuff. Still involved with helping the baseball program out Absolutely, there. yes. And uh, we just... Uh, uh, made the regionals, so we play this week, uh, Division Two Midwest Regionals. We were one of the seven teams in our region, so we're looking forward to that. And uh, I was out at practice yesterday, and we're ready to go. Ashland has a storied tradition of uh, Division Two sports. Did they? And, I, and if I'm wrong, correct me. Did they win the national title for women's basketball? They I- did. We we won it again. And uh, gosh, a couple years ago, we won the uh, indoor and outdoor track. Uh, national championships. And uh, so we've got an excellent athletic program across the board, just really, really good coaches. We're really blessed to have that going on for us. Oh, it makes it, it's a, it's an infrastructure thing, I believe. And that's a great tribute you've given to the administration for providing that and creating that. Well, well, let let me just say, uh, for example, our baseball coach, John Shally, hall of fame baseball coach, his dad was hall of fame baseball coach. And, uh, he just has built a program, as you said, that that it's been a winning program, and we have you know, expectations of our players, and they know that when they come in, and and they they learn and they develop. He's just got such a super program, and our our student athletes are great in the classroom, and I can't say enough about uh, how he runs that program. It's really really a a positive thing uh, for everyone, not just the university, but for the student athletes. Yeah, I think we'll have to connect uh, with him off the air. We, oh, as I, we've talked, my, uh, my my wife and I help kids obtain scholarships for college, baseball, basketball. 
uh, primarily. And uh, we actually just had a young lady offered by Ashland University Women's Basketball oh, last, uh, two weeks ago. So Gia Piscatelli out of Ohio. So they're trying to keep the Ohio kids home. So we have some baseball kids. We'll have to connect off the air. And maybe if, I, if they are in need of some of the kids that we have, we can certainly make that introduction. That'd be cool. That'd be you. great. I want to start off, I, I want to get to your, your successes with the book, but I want to touch on a conversation you and I had off the air about another sport, about basketball, ironically, that we're talking about that. Um, we were both watching the Boston Celtics 76ers game six and saw Jason Tatum. Uh, I think he was 0 for 10 or 0 for 11 from the field during the game and then just morphed into this different being the last four minutes of the game. Um, as somebody who's an expert in sports psychology and has probably seen this a number of times. Um, what's, what's your synopsis of that? What, what happens to an athlete? What did you see in Jason Tatum and share a little bit about what we talked about in that conversation? Well, I think there are two things that jump out at me about that. Number one, uh, when you talk about elite athletes, they really have, um, a very, very high level of self-confidence that's not easily shaken, obviously. You go well, 0 for 11 or whatever, big game. Uh, average athlete with an average mental game, they crumple. They, they quit taking shots. They are hesitant on their passes. And, and they are not playing in the moment. And they're not able to get back and playing in the moment. And that's what he was able to do. He kept, he maintained his confidence. And then there in the fourth quarter at the very end, he's playing in the moment. He, that 0 for 11 didn't exist. And, and with all athletes, that's what we try to do is get them stay in the present. We can analyze what happened later after the game. But right now it's this pitch, it's this shot that, that really matter. And, and being able to do that from a mental game standpoint is is critical and and professional players they just have it they just their their self confidence is is so solid and you know that's part of the reason why they're there uh, other players if they start to fail it they just like I said they crumple and and uh, that's it you know today's a bad day and it's not going to get any better and they mope and pout and doubt themselves and meanwhile the game keeps playing and and they keep performing poorly so he he, he did a remarkable job. Is there self-talk that you'll coach kids on leading up to that moment? Because um, one of my least favorite phrases with that, and you, you just, you hit on it. I hate when kids say it's not my day. Every day is your day. Exactly. It's your decision. Exactly. What are some self-talk that you help these kids out or some of these young adults out that you're, you're coaching? Well, I, well, I'll tell you what, in, in, um, and I know we'll talk about the books here in a minute, um, but I just published the, the second book in this, you got this series, this girl softball book. It's called You Got This Too, More Mental Game Skills for Softball Players. And I bring that up because that is one of the topics in the new book, self-talk, the rules of self-talk. And what I'm trying to do with these young players, and again, the books uh, 8 to 14, uh, ages 8 to 14, is start to introduce them to some of the concepts, some of the thinking behind positive self-talk. Because... It, it's easy for a parent or a coach to say, oh, you know, just just use positive self-talk. Just say nice things to yourself. But but it's more than that. And so in that book, what we do is we, we teach them some really just some real basic things that they can start thinking about. For example, um, in terms of self-talk, we want to make sure that they say what they want to have happen right before performance. So. If uh, you're a pitcher, 
uh, you want to tell yourself to throw strikes instead of what you're afraid might happen. And I think you and I have talked about this before. This is huge. Um, if you're a pitcher and you, really tight game, leadoff batter, and you say to yourself, don't walk this batter um, versus hit your spot, throw strikes. Two, two, that causes two different emotional reactions. That causes two different levels of self-confidence uh, when you're playing not to lose versus you're playing to win and compete. So that's one of the things we do is uh, teach that. And then we, uh, of course, in, in, we also talk about the shredding what I call arrows in thoughts. I can't, I won't, today's my, not my day. All those things that make a player feel as though the world's against them and all the arrows are coming in. Um, and, and I'll tell you what, arrows in thinking is, I explain to my players at all levels, arrows in thinking is natural. Nobody likes to fail, and when we fail, or things don't turn out the way we want, one of the first things that naturally is going to happen is we're going to feel deflated. We're going to feel down. We're going to feel self-doubt. And so that's arrows in. It's natural. What we try to do, what I try to do in the books and with my college guys, is catch it early and flip it to what we call arrows out thinking, where you stay on the attack. Um, okay, that didn't work out. Let's get a, Let's get this next pitch. Let's get this next play. Um, and and learning to do that is is a critical skill. And, I, and my goal with the, with the books is the second book in the series, and and there'll be a second book in the uh, baseball series that'll teach the same the same uh, principles. Is to get kids to realize that arrows in happens, but we can't. We don't have to stay there. You you can make a choice arrow to to go arrows out. Um, you don't have to start doubting and pouting and moping and 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 feel like everything's coming down on you. And like I said, today's not my day. Well, the next pitch. Any, I always tell players something great could happen on the next pitch. I was just talking to one of our pitchers yesterday, a college pitcher. I said, you, you have to realize that. Bases loaded, one out, tie score, and you're on the mound. Uh, instead of thinking of all the terrible things could happen, wild pitch, pass ball, base hit, walk, whatever, hey, Throw your pitch, get your ground ball, get a double play. Something great could happen on the next play. So that's the mindset you have to have to try and uh, achieve. And it's tough because it's natural to go arrows in. That's for sure. Yeah, I like I like that uh, st the strategies and technique. And this is something, and I, I may be getting over my skis on this one. So you bring me back if I start using my matchbook psychology into into this conversation, but. I want to touch on analytics a little bit. We talk about it a lot on this show, and I wrote a little article about it a couple of days ago. For me, self-talk is a way to kind of keep you uh, into the competitive moment, keep you into the flow, keep you into into your game, and prevent you from getting into deep reflection during the middle of competition. I think yep. that inhibits somebody. That's my problem a little bit with analytics, that when guys are playing a game that you're supposed to be relying on your body and your, a, little bit of your intu a lot of your intuition – in that self-talk that you're talking about, that analytics forces guys to get into that deep reflection and analysis in the middle of competition. And I find that to be combative. Like that's counter counterintuitive to what we're about. What, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I think you're exactly right. Especially in a sport like baseball, softball, reaction sport. You overthink, you overanalyze, you know, the old uh, paralysis by analysis. You, you overanalyze, you're not going to respond. You're not going to react. And it's a reaction sport. Now, there's a... There's a piece to the mental game 
that I are I work with uh, our college guys. It's post performance analysis, okay? Um, where we go back afterwards, whether you played well or you didn't play well, we we go back afterwards and we're trying to figure out what we did right, what what we could improve on. You do that afterwards, right? You make some adjustments during the game, but at the instant of performance, when you're trying, the pitcher's on the mound and ready to ready to bring the pitch and you're in the batter's box, we don't want thinking. We don't want you overanalyzing. We don't want you thinking about where your hands are, where you know where your weight is. We don't want you to think about swing path. We want you to see the ball, hit the ball, basically trusting your body, meaning you're trusting the work that you put in in practice. So when you're practicing, sure, practice, we have intentional practice, right? So when you're doing T work or you're on the, out there working on a mechanic in the bullpen, absolutely can think absolutely want to do that. That's perfectly fine. But when we compete, we compete and we, we just play. And, and especially when it's a reaction sport, if that makes any sense to you. It does. Yeah. How about in between at bats? In between at bats, uh, depends on the age level. I think, uh, as you get up high school, college, yeah, I think you can, you can do more, uh, no, you, hopefully you have to do more, analysis of, okay, how this guy get me out last time and those kinds of things. Uh, again, with the younger, younger players, eight, 10, 12 years old, we try to, we try to avoid that. Um, and, and if I could jump in here, there, there, there are really two things um, that I would offer as advice to youth league coaches. And one of them is right along these lines. And that is uh, don't overcoach during performance. Okay. During the actual performance, we don't want to shout out, you know, five different instructions on what they need to do. You know, he swings at one in the dirt and you don't want to just, you know, tell. Yeah, I always, I always get a kick out of, you know, uh, someone in the stand saying, hey, that was over your head. What are you swinging? Don't swing at that. Well, he knows it's over his head, right? And so somebody yelling that from the stands doesn't isn't going to help him on the next pitch. Because if you overcoach, what happens is you, you create anxiety and you create additional thinking. And when we perform, we, we want what's called external narrow focus, meaning when I'm in the batter's box and the pitcher's ready to throw the pitch, my attention has to be outside myself. I can't be telling, you know, talking to myself, coaching myself. It's got to be external and it's got to be very narrow on the release point where the ball's coming out. It can't be on the, somebody in the stands. It can't be in the dugout. And so when coaches overcoach from third base or in the dugout or wherever, um, it, it, makes, it, it goes from external narrow to internal. They start thinking or they, it's broad. They, they're paying attention to something other than the baseball coming out of the hand. And you don't have time to do that. I mean, it's reaction sports, quick reaction. And so that hurts performance. So I would say don't overcoach would be one thing. Now, that doesn't mean between at bats you you can make suggestions, but you you, you want to try and do most of your coaching in practice. Um, you don't want to introduce a bunch of uh, extra thoughts, especially for younger players, college guys and the pro guys I work with. Yeah, they can they can deal with that. But you know, eight, 10, 12 year olds, their their minds usually racing anyway, and if it's a big game and everybody's screaming and yelling. So we don't want to add to that if that Oh, it makes total sense. My my least favorite one, or I should say my favorite one, I say it facetiously, is the open-ended essay question, what are you doing in the middle of games? Usually parents will be screaming at <laughs> <that. laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Or or you know, one of the one of the things I talk about is 
whenever I do clinics is well-meaning parents and, and well-meaning coaches, when a, when a young player, 10-year-old gets up to bat, you know, they'll yell things like, be confident, relax up there, focus on the pit. You know, they, of course, they, they, they're well-meaning, but that doesn't really help the player. Yeah. They need skills. They need to be able to do that. And that's what, in my books, that's what I teach. I teach hands-on practical skills, this, this step-by-step skills that get you in the moment and get you ready for that. So that help you get focused and relaxed and, and so forth. Simply, you know, telling them that yelling that that doesn't really, doesn't really do much for them. Um, it just creates, you know, again, anytime you're shouting any kind of instruction, I think it, it especially with younger players, it, it really can create overthinking, which we don't want. It's startling at best. When they yeah, do it. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, you mentioned your books. You got, you know, win the next pitch. Uh, this, that's your baseball book. And uh, my, my sons both read it and you got this, that's your mental skills for young softball players. And you're on, you're on the second version of that. And hopefully we get to see Ava and Zoe and Addie in that book as well. But tell, tell our audience, share with them how the book's doing. Uh, oh, thanks uh, for, for talking about that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fortunate. Both books are Amazon bestsellers. And um, my softball book has been the number one selling softball book on Amazon since October. And so it's it's doing very, very well. And of course, my baseball book, I, we were talking off the air. My baseball book was the number one selling baseball book for the past probably month or so until the, the 1998 Yankees book came out. So that kind of knocked me off the the number one slot, but it's still number one in baseball coaching. So I'm pretty pleased with that. Uh, so both books are doing very well. Uh, the initial books, you got this for the softball and win the next pitch. The goal was to take what I've been teaching uh, college, high school, professional players for the last 20 years and teach it in a fun way uh, to younger players, eight, 12, 14 years old and put it in a story form so they like reading it, they're interested in it, and also uh, built-in reinforcers throughout the book. So they have they identify with the characters and the, and the characters succeed and sometimes fail, and then they see how the characters are using these skills. And then at the end of the book, the really cool thing, and this comes just from, from teaching college forever, is that at the end of the book, their review, review section. So you Let's review what, how Addie did this. Let's review how Zoe handled the anxiety and how would you do it, right? And uh, can you think of a time off the field where you became anxious, where you might use deep breathing, maybe, you know, test in class or, or speaking in class. So I tie it into that and we, we do a lot of review at the end. Also have a lot of suggestions as far as coaches go, how you can teach these things. How do we do a reset, teach reset in practice, or how do we teach the pre-pitch routine with focal point? You know, we, I, I recommend you do front toss and, and you, and you do it slowly because everybody wants to rush it. So I put that in there too, in the books too. So it's, it's great. And a lot of coaches are buying the book for their team and that's exciting because then they all have a common language. So when they talk about reset or they talk about um, things like that, they all know what they're talking about. Do your routine, arrows out. They all know that. So the first books, uh, they, they introduce those kind of uh, things like how to relax quickly, how to reset quickly, pre-pitch routine, three critical foundation, foundational skills that you have to have. 
Um, and it's really doing well. The second book uh, in the softball series goes into uh, attitude. Uh, con- well, broader picture control, what you can control. And I, I know you from, from coaching athletes across different sports, you know what that's about, right? We have to teach young players that they get to spend, we've got a limited amount of time and energy and we have to spend it on things we can control like attitude, how, how, um, where we're going to, how hard we play and, and, uh, the arrows out versus arrows in after a mistake or after something doesn't go well, rather than focusing on things you can't control, umpires, weather, the opponents and things like that. So we talk about that in book two. And also we do the self-talk in book two. And book two is doing very well also. And so I'm really pleased with that. And and in book two, I made a couple of changes that I, I can mention. Uh, one, I think I expanded the strategy guide for parents and coaches. And one of the cool things in there is I, I make some recommendations on what uh, coaches can do to help their teams remember what they learned in the mental game from books one and two, such as uh, kids like to be creative. So uh, you can have them do posters and get them laminated and put them in the dugout and different kid uh, gets a different poster for games or tournaments. And they're just reminders. Okay. Here's, here's the reset. Here are the steps in the reset or win the next pitch. Just, just visual reminders that, that, you know, eight to 12, 14 year olds can have in the dugout to remind them to stick, stick with the mental game when, um, and it's kind of a fun thing project for teams to do. So it's, it's fun. It's been a really fun project. The second book, uh, took, took a long time to write. It took me about six months to write. And, uh, uh, we talk about arrows in real quickly. Let me tell you a quick story. Arrows in, arrows out, right? Arrows ends when things aren't going well or, or, you start doubting yourself. And so I, I experienced this, right? I told you it's natural for players. Well, it's also natural if you're, if you're a creative writer and you send your uh, document to your editor and you're thinking, wow, this is pretty good. I'm going to, you know, I can't wait to get it back. And she sends it back and you're like, Oh, she's right. It's, it needs so much work. And, and then you start doubting it. Right. So I um, I start saying, wow, maybe I can't do this. Maybe I won't get this book done. Maybe, maybe I'm just not good enough. And then my wife hears me grumble that as I'm reading my thing. And, and she says, Hey, you better go arrows out. And, and so she, she was good about reminding me. So it's not just, it's not just sports. You have to remember to do that. Sometimes failure is part of learning and, and you, you, you can't get caught up in the emotion. We lose the emotion and learn the lesson, I guess. Yeah, very important in today's world. I think our kids are especially becoming more and more fragile with all the input they have out there. And I think these books are important. And your wife sounds like she may write a book on the uh, the version of a spouse helping a, a writer out. Well, I tell you what, she's just been around the mental game and me talking about the mental game and she goes to clinics and stuff. So she knows a lot about it and watches it. So she has to gently remind me, hey, you know, you're doing a little arrows in there. Yeah, read chapter two, right? She tells you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I pass it over to Kevin. Those great, great questions, great answers, Kurt. Dr. Kurt, a uh, couple things. Uh, it's funny because I, I had highlighted some things, and, and and you and Dave did a good, great job touching on those things, um, especially the arrows in, arrows out. My, my question is a little specific on the arrows out, like because um, I think you make a great point when you say uh, arrows out players are gamers, not victims. They do not get caught up in whining and crying if things do not go well. 
Instead, they accept the challenge with a sense of determination and resolve. How do you do that in a college setting when everyone in college is a victim from what I've been hearing and everything else around the world? I mean, you're living in a time now where victim pays. Being a victim pays on, on so many different levels. Everybody's a victim. So how, how do you separate that with your, with your sports people? Well, I think, I think with uh, athletes, uh, at least the ones that, that I'm fortunate enough to work with, I think – you know, we sort of set the tone. That's a great question, Kevin. We sort of set the tone when uh, I meet with the new guys in August, uh, just the new guys, the veterans, uh, we meet with them a week or two later, but the new guys, transfers, freshmen, usually have about, gosh, we probably have 30, 35 guys that, that come out in the fall. And, uh, you know, one of the things I talk about is this idea of arrows in, arrows out and feeling sorry for yourself when things don't go well. Go well. And one of the things I point out to him is, hey, you're playing baseball for Ashland University. We're one of the top programs in Division II. Uh, no one's going to feel sorry for us. No one's going to feel sorry if we go on a losing. Other teams aren't going to feel sorry for us. We're not going to feel so. We're not going to feel sorry for ourselves, right? You think you think Grand Valley is going to going to say, oh, you know, poor Ashland? No. So we from the beginning we emphasize the fact that we don't do it. We don't do it. We attack. We bounce back. We attack. We stay at. We want to play at the same level of intensity, regardless of what the score is, whether we're winning ten to one or we're losing ten to one. Regardless of the situation, we are going to attack and we're going to battle. And I also explain to players, and this, this gets to your question. I also explain to the players that when you're a gamer and you're a competitor and you play arrows out and you play hard all the time, no matter what. That gets a lot of respect, a lot of respect from your teammates, your coaches, the fans, your opponents. Yep. You know, you're, especially your opponents. I mean, your opponents, they know when they battle you, like I can say this from, for our team. And when, when, they, when teams play us and we come in with that attitude across the board, and by the way, it's contagious and everyone does it and our veterans do it. So the new guys quickly pick up on that. Um, when you do that, wow, those teams are tough to beat and, and your opponents respect you for that. They're like, wow, we, you know, we, we, we won the game six to five, but when we played Ashland, we, we were up six, nothing. We, we weren't sure we were going to win. They just kept coming at us. And that's, that's a great compliment to, to you as a player and as a team. And so that's what I get across to them. If you want people to really respect you, then you got to play that way. You just have to attack. Nobody wants a whiner. Nobody, nobody, nobody's going to feel sorry for you. This isn't, this isn't how you, how you, and it's not going to help you play better. I mean, it zaps your energy. It, it's just not going to help you play better. And, and you know, what's funny, uh, Dave and Kevin is you, when I watch baseball, I watch it very differently than other people It because I'm not, I'm not a, a mechanics guy, so I don't have to watch mechanics. Um, so I kind of see through all the mechanics stuff. I don't, I'm just all looking at mental game stuff and, and you can, so I really quickly pick up on um, body language. For example, I, I, I see the pace. I see, are they taking their breath? Those kinds of things. And, and boy, the body language sometimes is you just tell it's arrows in or arrows out. And so if, if we have a guy who happens to go arrows in, you know, after a bad performance or after, during a game, you know, he gives up a big hit or something. And I notice it. I, I talk to him about it the next day in practice. Say, hey, this is what I saw. Um, so, 
Yeah, it's so you set the tone, you set the stage, I think, early, and you explain to them how valuable that kind of attitude is. And uh, two years ago, I or I want to two or three years ago, we set, uh, I think, a, uh, we, sort of an informal team record of comeback wins. And and that's because we, we just keep battling. And that's not unique to us. I think that's unique to any program where that emphasizes that kind of attitude. Um, we don't want to waste time feeling sorry for us. Ourself. Well, I think... Uh... Yeah, I think that, you know, dovetailing uh, to the 98 Yankees, that's what they were all about, too. You know, I mean, obviously, they were top of the top of the line talent wise. And I think those are great lessons. And I think you answered that well, Dr. It's about the fact that, you know, these athletes have a mindset. For the most part, they have a mindset that's arrows out or they'll learn it quickly. Pitchers, I've always felt pitchers are whiners myself. So I think you'll you probably run across more pitchers who are, you know, maybe get that uh, bad, bad body language going. But even yesterday, I was watching the Mets and and uh, uh, Alonzo's in a slump. And in between, they had showed them between innings. Um, you know, they haven't home they haven't homered in, in ages as a team. And he, you know, he he hit their last home run. And he's I saw him in the in the dugout, like slump shouldered, looking at the uh, you know at the iPad. And that, that, that's exactly probably what you're talking about. I want, but I, again, I, I like to push the envelope here and I want to take it one step further. That's great for college athletes, but, and I've seen this many, many times uh, with parents. Um, um, you may get that oh, arrows out. And then as soon as the game ends and it's usually the mom. So you, you know, moms get mad at me. Go ahead. I don't care. <laughs> they want to buy milkshakes for their kids after they just got their butts whipped at a Cooperstown tournament, you know, and they want to do this. They want to do that. How do you keep those, those, those kind of uh, uh, arrows out killers away from, or, or from destroying your team? Cause every, you got any little league field in the country now and you'll see that. In terms of the parents, in terms of the parents being, making their child feel sorry for the, Oh, my poor baby. Oh, you tried, you did your best. You tried hard, whatever, blah, blah, blah. How do you keep the, and you're trying to push a different uh, narrative. How, how do you, how do you keep them out of the, the throes of, of the, the, uh, the poor parent who thinks the world just crushed? Yeah. Well, well, one of the things that, that I like the way I like to think about it is, you try to explain to players, and, and this is tough as you get down, you know. I'm talking about different age brackets, too. Right, you, right, right, right. I'm talking about 9, 10, and 11-year-old girls. Right. You know, that's – and I will say this. I watch a lot of softball, college, high school, whatever. Um, I think in many ways the the girls have a, a a much more positive attitude than the boys when they play. Yeah, and I, and I, um, I think that when you – Talk about arrows in, arrows out, and 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 those kinds of things. And you talk about parents and getting. I, I think when you do post performance analysis, uh, I think you look at you're going to get beat, right? Teams are going to get beat. You can you can play as hard as you you can. You can play the best of your ability, and and guess what? Sometimes you're going to get beat. It happens. That's sports, right? That's why you compete. Um, so I, I try to get across to, and this is tough at the young level, I, with my college guys, they get it. You can't control the outcome. You cannot control the outcome. 
uh, of a baseball game. If you could, you win every game. You'd, you'd bat a thousand. Uh, but what you can control is preparation and you can control the process between pitches. Um, but you can't control how, if that, their pitcher's on that day. Uh, did you, were you prepared? Did you work hard? Did you, did you bust your butt? Did you give 110%? And if you did and you came up short, hey, you came up short. That's sports. That's how it is. And, and no, no need to feel sorry for yourself. Now you should feel sorry for yourself and get down on yourself. If, if you didn't do those things, if you didn't practice hard in practice, if you didn't take the game seriously, if you didn't hustle, during the game, those kinds of things. Absolutely. Those are, those are justifiable, but, but, but to get to, you know, go arrows in because, you know, some guy was really on and, and, you know, he threw a two hitter at you and uh, you know, you were, you were giving it your all and you were there on each pitch and you just didn't, you know, you hit the ball on the line and it went to the shortstop and, and you guys were hitting it all over the park and you just didn't get your hit. That, that just happens. And, and so um, I think that's, that's what we, that's what I try. That's how I try to see it. You control what you can control, which is effort, preparation. And, uh, you know, what's going to happen in the game is, is going to happen in the game. You just keep competing and do your best and, and leave it at that. And, and you can hit the ball hard and it gets caught, you know. Absolutely. And you can and you can also get that little bloop single to right field. Right. And and so you, you, you just have to focus on how did I approach? I just talked to one of our guys yesterday about it. Um, one of, one of the things I noticed when I was watching the video was he, he was when he's on, when he's hitting well, he attacks the fastball early in the count. Yeah. He just really looks confident and he's he hunts speed and he attacks the fastball early in the count. Well, this last tournament, this last weekend, our conference tournament, he didn't do that. And so I pointed it out to him and I said, I noticed it as you were going up. I noticed you were more tentative. He struck out the first time in the conference, conference game, first game, big situation. And I said, you know, it sort of set the tone for you. I noticed. And, and he started swinging, you know, early count breaking balls and, and getting himself in a, in a jam. I said, just go back, go back to your approach. What was your approach? You know, when, when you're doing when you're hitting well, what, what are you thinking? And we went over it. What are you thinking from the on-deck circle to the plate? And what are you thinking in between pitches? And, you know, what's your process? And so I said, just go back to that. Don't don't get yourself uh, out of that groove. And and if, you're, if you're, your last thought is, you know, look for speed early in the cat, look for a fastball at this spot. Like you, if that's what helps you perform best, that's what you got to do. So yeah, you got you to stick with – it's the old story. Stick with what's working. Oh, Exactly. It, it exactly and uh but you know uh it, baseball like other sports uh it, it's not one of those things where you get it and you have it for you know you you get the great mental game and and once you get it you get it right it's sort of it comes and goes that's why uh you know they look at major league major league players have pitching coaches and hitting coaches and mental coaches and you know professional golfers have swing coaches because it's uh you know it's it's fluid it's fluid um, well, well, following up on one of Dave's questions earlier, because I thought of this, and again, I'm I'm trying to spark some dialogue here, because real life dialogue with stuff. Uh, when Dave talked about the analytics, say you are this guy, and you um, you get a bloop single, and one of the things that you're going to look at, especially in the major leagues after the game, is the all the analytic nerds. Or letting you know your exit velocity right away, and you obviously know it's a bloop single. That's what cracks you up about exit right, velocity. Right. Too. You know when you hit one four hundred twenty feet, you know when you bloop single. So you don't need these nerds to tell you what happened. 
but they plant a seed in your head like and you may be thinking all right i got a hit i'm i'm, I'm off the snide but all of a sudden they plant a seed like yeah you only hit that ball 67 miles per hour you know or whatever <laughs> 80 so my contention is that the analytics if you let them get involved too much they do way more damage than help i just want your thoughts on something like that like always throwing out exit speed even though you got a base hit yeah i think there's a there that leads me uh, your great question i and i think you're exactly right i think um one of the things that, that that's important especially for younger players is sometimes i think coaches and certainly analytic guys are you know, sort of look for what's wrong all the time. Yep. yep. Does that make sense? Yep. So one of the things when I work with, do my clinics for uh, softball and baseball coaches in this group is I really point out that we have to watch the tendency to only focus when an athlete is doing something wrong, right? Who wants to come to practice? You know, you want somebody coming to your job and watch it following you around all day and saying, hey, Kevin, you, you screwed this up. Hey, Kevin, you messed this up. Who wants that, right? So what athlete's going to want a coach? Just, that's the only thing they do is their only contact with me is when I'm making a mistake on that ground ball or making them. So uh, certainly correction is is key and we need to do some of that, but you can't only do that is my point. Does that make sense? Well, I think, uh, yeah, and I think the, 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 the approach there should be Maybe that was a really good pitch and you 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 you, you put it into play and good things right. happen when you come right. to play. Right. You fought off, you know, the guy, it was a two strike pitch and it was inside and you fought it off and you made contact and you got your hit. Right. And um, you take it, you know, yeah, I yeah, exactly. a long time ago, you take any hits. It's like, yeah, well, and, and, and the thing is, it's going to even out, right? That makes right, up for that line. That, that yep. makes up for that line shot right at the shortstop. When you really did, you know, you ripped it and the guy caught it, you know, um, but getting back to my point, I think, we have to be careful not to just focus on the negative stuff, right? As you, especially young kids teaching them. Absolutely. B.F. Skinner, famous psychologist, said we have to catch them doing something right when he was talking about teaching. And <clears throat> I just did this yesterday uh, with, with one of our hitters. We uh, conference tournament this weekend. I'll give you a quick story. He, he's up to bat. we got a couple guys on. Scores tied. He has a 2-2 pitch. And very close pitch, umpire calls it a ball. There's two outs. They start, the team, you know, they, they thought they had a strike. They probably did have a strike. When I talked to the, the, the player yesterday, he said, yeah, it's probably a strike. So the crowd screaming, their bench is screaming. You can picture the scene. Yes. They're starting to walk off the field. Umpire says, no, it's a ball. All this commotion going on. And my hitter, what he did was he just went back to his routine, took his breath, got his focal point, got in the box, was absolutely able to get rid of all of that commotion. And, I mean, it was still going on, screaming, yelling, you imagine. And he was able to get that external narrow focus on the baseball, and he ripped it to the wall the next pitch. So a younger player or a player without a good mental game, they're going to get back in that box in that situation, and they'll be rattled, right? They may they'll be too jazzed up maybe. Oh, yeah, and they'll, and they'll have all kinds of, whoa, I should have swung at that. Ooh, that was strike three. Uh, maybe I better swing at that. You know, they got all this stuff going on instead of being able to do that. So what I did yesterday in practice was, I, you know, I tracked him down. I said, hey, I want to talk to you about one of your bats. And, and I said, it was the game, you know, uh, the first game of the tournament. And uh, I said, I really liked how you did that. And we talked about that. I said, you got back on, you did your routine, and you, you – 
obviously when that pitch came in, you were 100% external narrow focused. And so I think those are the kinds of things coaches can do more of, catch them when they're doing something right, because that's also reinforced. It's not coddling them. It's not babying somebody, but it's, it's helping reinforce. Yes, this works. And yes, this is what we want. Right. Well, I think that's probably why you're such a help to that program, because let's face it, coaches have a lot on their mind. They may be thinking about something else that may get past them what that hitter did the day before. And they never bring it up in the next practice. Whereas you're kind of like a fail safe. You notice some of these things. So you bring it up and the player walks away saying, Hey, he's right. I did do good there. Right. Or, 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 and you're exactly right. Well, it gets back to what I said earlier, you know, coaches have a lot going on, but they're also looking for other different things. than I look at, you know, they're looking at mechanics and they're worried about game strategy. So that, that fact that he did that reset that got him in position to, to make a good swing on the next pitch you know that that's you know that's that's a list of twenty five on a list of, of twenty five things that a coach is going to pay attention to, uh, but yeah, you're right. And so, and even that player, even when I talked to him yesterday, he may walk away from that situation saying, "Wow, I hit a double," and not realize what he did in order to get himself in that position. You understand? Yeah, I got there. Right. So that's where I come in and I say. You know, this is the pro. You you did the process, and this is what allowed you to do that, so that you will. You know, again, we want to reinforce it so that they'll use it again. Well, the other thing too is, especially with the uh, mental toughness, getting the edge book that was written in two thousand ten. So that you know, this I, I like the fact that this has been around for a while. It's not something you just you know jumping on a bandwagon. Right. It. It. I, I wrote that for high school and college players. And like I said, I probably thought about, you know, trying to teach these skills to younger players probably seven or eight years ago. And I wasn't able to do any writing until I, I uh, retired from the university. But yeah, in 2010, we used that book. That book's been used by, gosh, countless uh, high school, college teams. And, uh, you know, our a couple of state tournament team uh, championship teams here have told me they've used it softball and baseball. I've got a lot of softball players that use that book, even though it was written for baseball. And, um, but it's, it's for, you know, older players and, and I try to keep it simple. Um, players don't want a textbook. They don't want to know all the neurology behind it, the neuroscience. They want to know how do you get better? Um, what are some really clear cut proven ways to get better that are understandable and help you get better right away. Um, so that's what players are looking for. They don't, especially college players. I mean, they're in class all day. They don't need me to tell them, you know, all the neuropsych behind all this stuff. And the college players themselves, the, um, the, you know, the juggling aspect of it, you know, I, I just wanted to touch that briefly. And this could go through any, any student, really. You got, you got kids now that are, Maybe they're taking, and it could be younger players, softball players, baseball players, whatever. They may be taking music classes. You know, they may be learning an instrument. They're in school. Uh, obviously, when summer comes, it's a little bit different. But they got a lot, thing, a lot of things going on. So, how can your books help them, kind of, put baseball or softball in, in uh, its proper perspective and figuring out everything else as well? Well, I, first of all, as you guys know. Uh, student athletes do a remarkable job of time. Yeah, three, three, all three of my children were student athletes right on through college, so I, I know what you're saying. Time management, and I and I always uh, when I 
would write letters of recommendation for players or for for student athletes, I would always tell them, you know, don't don't downplay the fact that you played, you know, uh, a varsity sport because to balance those two and you know the hours that go into practicing both of you guys know the hours and hours that these players spend and to balance that with getting great grades and it's it's says so much about their abilities to manage time motivation self-discipline all those things that you're going to want to look for in an employee right um so it's i think it's fantastic uh that you have especially uh, i was talking to dave before we got on the air you know we're talking about student athletes and the importance of going to class. And when the programs put that first, that also sets the tone of self-discipline, right? You're not here just to play baseball. Um, and uh, so, uh, so well, I think that's it's great. That's what's great about division two. You actually got to, you know, you got to go to class. It's not like, exactly. Uh, exactly. you know. Yeah. Well, I think uh, our, our coach, I think it's five miles. You rerun five miles, you miss class. And, and they do check uh, attendance checks with our players. And so our players don't miss class. They, they I was just going to say, that's so that's so tough on the players. I could imagine there must be somebody saying, oh, my God, the poor players. They had to run five miles. But again, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, well, hey, get up and go to class, right? Exactly. That's, that's your job. That's your job. That's the answer. That's right. I actually want to give you a thought for your next book. And, uh, sure. You could thank me in a few years. But you need to write a book for the general college population that you're not a victim. And I think that could be something interesting. Got it. Not a victim, Kevin. Got it. You can put me in the uh, mentions after. I I will. I will. Go ahead, Dave. I was going to say, you better start writing your forward, Kevin, for that book. (laughs) That's right. Hey, it's got a, I'm working on win the next pitch too. So it'll be a while. Yeah. I like the class. And I think that's a great idea, too, because as you mentioned early in the show, Kevin, we're, it, our show's about baseball and we venture into other sports, but it's also about what's going on in the world right now. And victim is a, a, a great word that can encapsulate a lot of what's going on out there. And you would, again, Dave, he, he was 13 years, 14 years ahead of this. That's, yeah. that's why I bring it up. I'm not I'm not bringing it up to be a smart ass. I'm bringing it up to say that he was on this 14 years ago. Yeah, 2010, that, that first book came out. And um I like the class thing too, both of you guys hit on, and I shared this with Kevin before, but, and I think Kurt, we were talking about my times that we used. Uh, I practiced at five 30 in the morning, my first division one head coaching job. And uh don't know if I could do that nowadays at the age of 50, but yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it, my issue with classes was I, I was paying for their education. And if they wanted to be a part of my program, they went to class every day. And that meant they were 15 minutes early. They were up front. They were active participants and they were dressed in anything but sports gear. They, used, they wore regular people's clothes. And my, my message to them was you can make that guy's life very easy if you go to class and you do your job in class. And for me, if they were late or they showed up at nine and the class was at nine or they were dressed in their pajamas or whatever else college kids wear or they were you know slouched in their chair and didn't participate, that counted as a missed class for me. And for me, a missed class, maybe I should have done the running, but a missed class equaled a missed game for me. They missed a class, they missed a game. No, that's – and again, I want to I, I want to stay in this for a second because I think that's – you guys are both doing the right thing. And, and again, I like to bring real life into what we're having here. And 
I had to bring my car to a service station, uh, really good place. They do, do great work. And I have a 2005 Jeep Wrangler, so I have some issues here and there. Turns out a battery cable was bad, but they fixed it pretty quickly. I go in. They have a three-station uh, you know, waiting area. One of the guys was open. He, he greets me nicely. Um, um, and I guess the previous person who was, gre- was, was in line, he was still sitting on the stool where the where the computer is so he's sitting right in front slouched over looking at his phone guys bottle of water right where i would walk up to so me being me i just walk right up put my hip give him a hip check and don't say a lord like excuse me you know they teach them some things where they learn how to deal with life you just got waited on you don't have to stay in the same chair and be slouched over have your bottle of water where the next person's going to be, you know, try to be a grown up. And I, I think that's a, that, that's my message for today. Try to be a grown up. I like it. I do. I, uh, in the, in Carl, he was college age, by the way. So I, that's why I'm a little bit on esteemed under the collar today. Yeah. He could definitely use that book. Maybe send, send him the Kurtz class or teach us <laughs> class online for him. They, uh, my, my precursor, my postcursor to the, the, the rule was, and I, I didn't have to do this, th- thankfully, but if you missed a class more than once, you found a new program to play for. That was great wow. releasing wow. the scholarship. I did have to sit my two best players in a TV game for a missed class, and I'll tell you, the professor was more than happy to call me to let me know to see if I was going to stand by my guns. And it was the right move to make to sit them, and we won the game, which sent a message to those kids that we didn't need them. Oh, to do the yeah, the right yes. way. Win or lose, it was the right thing to do, though, I think. But um, Kurt uh, – Share with our audience where they can, again, where they can find the, the two current books and then the new book and uh, sure. how they can support you. Sure. All of them are on Amazon. So you just search my name, Kurt, C-U-R-T, Ickes, I-C-K-E-S. Or if you just surf, uh, search, uh, you got this, Waffball, or win the next pitch, baseball, you'll be able to find them. And uh, they're ordered directly through Amazon. I don't, uh, I'm self-published and I'm planning to stay that way. Um, so that's where you can get them. Yeah. And I think, I think to the, uh, especially the, the newer books that are doing so well, I think they're really, maybe years ago, you didn't need this kind of stuff. Could you figure it out yourself playing with your friends on your own? But I really think athlete, young athletes today need a little help to get where they need to go mentally. And, and that, that's why I think, the, you know, like for my grandkids and stuff like that, this, this, this is really, this is really something great. Really something great. Well, what we, thank you. And, and I real, real quickly, I think what's happening, you know, there's just, there's a lot of emphasis on travel ball now. And, and, you know, if you're eight, 10 year, 12 years old, even if you even if the pressure from parents or coaches or whatever, isn't overt, there's, there's still a lot of pressure kids put on themselves. I mean, they they know there's money, their expense, there's time. They've had pitching, kidding lessons. They know you know they want to win for their teammates. They want to win for their parents. They want to play well, and 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 so there's that there's that sort of built in pressure of that situation. And what I'm trying to do is give them some tools to deal with that. Right, give them some tools to be able to relax, be able to get over mistakes, realize that hey. Even professional players make mistakes. The key is let's get ready for the next pitch and, and let's win the next pitch and let's keep battling. That's what I'm that's my message I'm trying to get to these young athletes. 
Um, you know, failure is going to happen just like it's going to rain some days. So since since we know it's going to happen, uh, we get a plan for it. Let's get a plan for it. We don't like it, but it, it's going to happen. Um, we can't just the strategy of hoping it, you know, doesn't rain or the hoping it, you know, we'll never make an error, never strike out. It, that's not a good strategy. So um, sort of saying, OK, it happened. Let's get back on it and let's get to the next pitch and let's keep battling. Let's keep competing and uh, give it everything we got. One, one final thing. I think you also teach them how to be a good teammate, and that's very important. Absolutely. And that's what Absolutely. goes in. As you go further into life, and like you say, with the resumes, get jobs. Good employers are looking for people who are good teammates. Well, and that's why it's great to, for employers to hire student athletes. you got all kinds of great things. you got that team teammate approach. You've got, the, like I said, the time management. You've got self-discipline. you got motivation, drive to succeed and excel and get better. That's why the student athlete is just the perfect hire. So all you HR directors out there, <laughs> look at those student athletes that way because they 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 are gems. Well, they not only gems. that, if they read your books, you know they can read too. Exactly, exactly. Okay, Dave, I'm out. No, I like that. That was good. You drew out some great additional information um, for our audience, and that's that's what's beautiful about the way you ask questions. So, but Kurt, thanks so much for coming on again. We're so proud of you. The, the books that you're writing, we're appreciative of it. I know my kids uh, have read them and my girls noted, as I said, they read the softball book. They did, but I got a note under the door that they also read the baseball book too. So they must be listening inside the door. So oh, great, great. Um, but uh, thanks to Jim Rooney who introduced us. Um, yes, yes, Jim. Yeah. Jim is a, uh, you know, Rooney baseball is doing really well out there in Fort Mill, South Carolina. So I appreciate him for introducing us to this relationship and our audience will continue to support you. And I ask our audience, too, and I don't have to twist their arms because there's such great articles every week. Continue to support Kevin on Ball 9. Those guys do a great job over there. And much like our show here, Kevin's the flagship over there, too. So read his articles twice a week. Engage. Um, because as you see on the show here, he's, he's going to bring out things that none of us think about. And uh, that's what makes his interview style and his writing so, so wonderful and unique. So, Kevin, thanks so much to you for what you bring to this show and to our network. And uh, to our audience, 17,000 plus subscribers. So we hope to reach 18,000 by the end of the next week. Download, listen, like, subscribe, rate, and review. We can keep providing you great content every week if you help us battle the, the analytics world of the podcasting networks. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher. You can hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or all of them if, if you don't mind. Support Kevin on all of those mediums as well. 72 countries now, grassroots all the way to MLB front offices, trying to build a better baseball IQ, but better yet, as you learned on the show, we tell our audience, prepare to embrace that uncomfortable truth because this program, like all of our programs, we have no time for a little comfortable lies. So, guys, thanks so much for your efforts today and, and for what you brought to this show. And our audience is going to be smarter for it. I know I am. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for having me on, David. Take care, Kevin. Take care. Hey, good luck in the tournament. Uh, thank you.